For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. It is a throwback Thursday here on Birds 365. And for those who are tuned in, well, we got a couple people already on uh, board for our two-hour adventure here on Birds 365 with McMullen and McDonald. I have complete faith that you know why I'm calling it a throwback Thursday. Because it's a throwback to a former quarterback in this town. It wasn't all hmm. that long ago. But he's all of a sudden become a well-traveled quarterback. We'll be discussing at length today. John McMullen, Joe McDonald here with you on Bird 365. The quarterback carousel continued to spin yesterday, Jenny Mack. And we knew it was a possibility that it was going to spin out in Indianapolis. Coming home to the NFC East for Carson Wentz, huh? Yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this one from 18 different angles. <laughs> it's ironic. Where where do we start? I think, you know, Chris Ballard's one of those guys that nobody criticizes. You know, in this town, Howie Roseman did a great job getting what he got for Carson Wentz. But then people say, well, he created that mess, which he partially did. You know, a lot of people had uh, their their thumbs in that pie, so to speak. And now Chris Ballard's like, what, what a job he got to get a couple third-round picks, essentially. And more than that, the salary dump of getting the Washington Commanders uh, to take on Carson Wentz, who looks like, as Jody Mack just uh, identified him officially as a journeyman, That's which you is. see the quarterback desperation in this league. I don't know how Washington could take this chance. I don't know why Washington would want to take this chance after what's going on now in Philadelphia and Indianapolis. You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times. I, I don't know who, you know. Uh, Ron Rivera is sticking his neck out. Frank Reich said he was sticking his neck out. Ron Rivera is sticking his neck out. And maybe it's not even Ron Rivera. I do know Ron, when he was back in Carolina, really liked Carson Wentz. But we all really liked Carson Wentz early in his career. We all thought he was going to be a star. Injuries, off-the-field stuff, everything in this toxic cocktail of, of, of turning from potential franchise quarterback to a journeyman, Look, I've seen enough. He's not going to be that guy. I'm the first to admit I made a mistake. I thought he was going to be great. All right. Turn the page, move on. That's what the Eagles did. They took at the time the, and it's still the largest dead cap hit in in history. That'll be broken soon enough, but um, we'll see who's the next to create the new precedent. But I, I think the funniest part to me was, you know, Carson here, had the so-called he had the bat phone man he could get he could get a hold of Jeffrey Lurie anytime he wanted um in Indianapolis uh Ursay was just you know there was the report from the athletic that uh he wanted to have a meeting with Ursay to clear the air and said no the owner said no I'm done with you 
I don't want to hear it. And, you know, I don't think it's the on the field stuff, Jody. I mean, he was okay. He was terrible late in the season. Right. Statistically, he was fine. Now, I'm not a big stats guy. You know that. We differ sometimes on that. I think, you know, the film doesn't look as good as the statistics necessarily. But you can talk yourself into it from that standpoint, from on the field. Bottom line, though, and this is not political. This is not political. He's out in Indianapolis because he wouldn't get vaccinated. And it has nothing to do with the vaccination. It has to do with being the leader of a football team and those being the rules and you being available for the rest of your teammates in a, in a playoff run in a big situation. And also even less setting an example for everybody else. And Carson knew he was on a short rope. He knew he, how things went badly, and he decided to go down that route. And that kind of defines him. From being around Carson Wentz, one thing everybody has said, headstrong, headstrong, headstrong. I mean, he's going to do what he wants to do. And Mark Murphy already coined the term complicated fella, and that's already taken. Uh, and that's taken by the best quarterback in football. Carson's a complicated fellow himself, but he's not good enough to get away with being a complicated fellow. That's uh, my <laughs> that's my summation, Jeff. I I agree with you on almost all parts. Um, I'm I don't want to dismiss. I would just say keep it in its proper perspective, and this is not going to be complimentary. Uh, the whole refusal to get vaccinated and then test positive and miss a week of practice. Did it play against them in Indianapolis? Yes. Did it further uh, point out his lack of leadership? Yes. But I think it was already ingrained before that. This was just like icing on the cake. That was a major bugaboo here in Philadelphia. That other than his offensive linemen that he'd buy presents for or go shooting with, the guys in the locker room just didn't like him. Here in Philadelphia, he didn't lead. They didn't take charge behind Carson Wentz. That was well in place. Frank Reich, when he made the deal, <laughs> thought, well, I can pump him. I get him to lead here. When I, was, when I was in Philly, that wasn't much of a problem. Well, Frank, you were gone for 2018, 19, and 20. So, uh, no, sorry, Frank. You weren't able to em embolden Carson Wentz in your locker room. I think the vaccination thing was just, uh, like I said, ed added to an already existent problem. And I think that there were people within the organization that absolutely said, Frank, you got your shot. And guess what? You were wrong. You couldn't make him into a leader of men. And oh, by the way, he was only OK on the field. So if he's not going to lead and he's going to fly in the face of what's best for the team, by <clears> not getting back there, and he can't uh, win big games when the money's on the line. Yeah, we don't need this guy. And we're moving on. Yeah, I'm not giving Chris Ballard all that much credit. I guess you have to give him some because they were really Well, he's one of those guys you can't criticize. Jim. Uh, I don't I'm know why. Go ahead and, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and criticize him right now. <laughs> Whether you say you can or can't, I'm going oh, to. I, he, I, I've already criticized him. I'm behind you. He didn't get a whole hell of a lot in return for Carson Wentz. And, oh, by the way, uh, you can say, oh, he got something for nothing. Well, no, here's what you do. Less than 12 months later, you got significantly less than what you gave up for the guy and, oh, by the way, with a team, the most everybody picked to go to the playoffs. You didn't go to the playoffs. So how did that work out for a year later, uh, Mr. General Manager of the Colts? Not yeah. too good. Well, I'm sorry. Well, think about this. When the Eagles take uh, 
Indianapolis's pick if they take it or if they trade it on April 28th. Um, you know, that pick, they Carson's already gone. Right. They Before they even take the pick. Yet. Before they even take the pick, he's gone. So, yeah, Chris. And the bottom line is Chris has made – he's built a pretty good roster. Um, but if you don't get the quarterback right, it doesn't matter. And there's, they're going to be at six consecutive years, I think, with a different starting quarterback. Now, a little bit bad luck in there. Obviously, Andrew Luck retiring early. Nobody saw that coming. Um, so you had the one season with Jacoby Brissett, and then Philip Rivers was – you know, fine, but he was late in his career and evident and obviously retired. So that's, that's, that's the big issue with, with that. And, and, and the talk about, you know, Chris Ballard, you got to get the quarterback, right. But beyond that, Jody, and, and the only break, I want to go back to the vaccination for this particular point, only because it pissed off the owner. It pissed off the owner. I don't care about everybody else. There's plenty of guys. Darius Leonard's on the same team. He's an all-pro linebacker. He's got no issues because he performed at his position at the Aaron Rodgers-like level. You can get away with it. But once you piss off the owner and you're the quarterback, it doesn't even matter what Frank Reich says. It doesn't even matter what Chris Ballard says. And that's what that's what Carson Wentz did. He pissed off the owner. Well, Washington's going to have to deal with Carson Wentz and uh, whether you are or aren't vaccinated because we've made the strides that we have against COVID. It's going to become less and less of a story as we go forward. But it was a damn big story for them this year. And yes, you admitted to being wrong about Carson Wentz. I've done this before. I'll do it quickly again here. I was a major Carson Wentz defender at the beginning of last year, probably more so because so many people were so outspoken about Nick Foles. Oh, that Nick Foles was the answer. If the Eagles had kept Nick Foles, if Nick Foles was still the Eagle quarterback, Nick Foles got on a magic carpet ride, had a great run, and basically it came to an end thereafter. And he had a year here in Philadelphia where he stepped in, won one playoff game, but then lost another one and decided to go free agent, which he should have done. He got a nice big fat payday from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Good on you, Nick. You stunk. You went to Jacksonville, you were like every other Jacksonville quarterback. You couldn't play. And he didn't play at all this year. So uh, I just felt the need to balance the scales for those who were putting Nick Foles on too big a pedestal for what type of quarterback he was and was going to be going forward. That was a mistake on my part because Carson couldn't hold up his end of the bargain. I defended Carson Wentz more so to thwart the overabundant Nick Foles fans, uh, the Folesian nation, which I thought was ridiculous. But I watched him go backwards. I watched Carson Wentz go backwards with my very eyes. And as the weeks went on in Dougie P's last year, I got to a point where I said, they can't play him anymore. He's the worst quarterback in the NFL. He was playing like the worst quarterback statistically. And with my own two eyes, the worst worst one in the NFL. Yeah, worst starting quarterback. Right, that's what I'm saying. And that's why I said Jalen Hurts should have gotten in there. Even before Doug Peterson pulled the plug on him, which I'll tell you is as big a problem as I have with Carson Wentz as anything else. John, you're right. This past year, you you look up to stats. If you watch enough of the Colts game, you can, in judging the entire season, say Carson Wentz wasn't bad. Nobody could say Carson Wentz was the worst quarterback in the NFL last year. Not even close. He came up real small the last two weeks of the season where there's added influence and importance, and that's on him, 
but he wasn't the worst quarterback in the NFL, and and it wasn't even close. But he no. just doesn't handle his business well. I don't think he's got the mindset. I don't think he's got the toughness. And here's what's really bugging me this morning, because I uh, we got already got someone chiming in on our stream. And our good buddy, Barry Brooks, said this on NBC Sports Philly. I was watching this morning. With the acquisition of Carson Wentz, it makes the Washington Commanders the favorite in the NFC East. Are you kidding me? Would somebody Barrett, really Barrett. go there? I, I, I'm not going there over Dallas, number one, even though in well, Dallas, the Eagles, you let you right now, you think the Washington Commanders well, have a better roster I, than the Eagles. I think they're in the same, you know, I think they're in if the they same. They can pick, McMahon, get off the fence. Eagles or Washington, who's got a better roster right now? Uh, Washington. Really? I thought I thought Washington. Wow. Had, I thought Washington had a better roster last year. And remember, they were in in run, and they had all the problems with COVID at the uh, you know at the end of the season at the key moments, and we, we all know what they had to play at quarterback. Um, and I, you know, say what you want about Carson Wentz, and look, I don't think they should have went that direction. I started the show with that. I would I would have went in a different direction. But he's better than what they had, and and Taylor Heineke, he's certainly better than Garrett Gilbert. Um, he's better than what they had. Now I look at Washington and and, and the Jonathan Allen's and the Deron Paynes and you know uh, uh, Chase Young will be back and Montez Sweat will be back in theory, and and all that talent on the defensive side of the ball. We'll see if they can get Brandon Sheriff back. It seems they always do. Terry McLaurin's a, a great player. Antonio Gibson, I think, is one of the more underrated players. I think they got some players, is what I'm trying to say. I don't think Carson's very good. I, I'd rather have Jalen Hurts than Carson Wentz right now. But, you know, we're talking, and and we've been citing those NFL.com rankings because I liked them, and I thought they were good, and I thought they were fair. Yeah, what so was where, Carson Wentz? Well, well, no, that's what I'm saying. So Jalen was at 17. Where are you going to put Carson? You just said he wasn't the worst. Where are you going to put him? 22, 23, somewhere Somewhere in that range? Yeah, in the 20s for sure. It's now, now, you know, up from 28 to 22, you get a little bit closer. I'd rather have Jalen Hurts. I think he's a better quarterback at this stage. I never thought I'd be saying that, but here I am saying that. Um, But I I do think Washington is still, you know, it's what we're all talking about with the with, with the Eagles. Should they build around Carson Wentz? They need so much. That's what everyone tells me. They need so much. They don't have anything on defense. Well, Washington has a lot on defense, and they got better playmakers. I got news for you. You know, people in Philadelphia might think Miles Sanders is you better. You think Gary McLaurin's going to be better than Devontae Smith this upcoming year? Um. Uh, I think they're they're similar in the fact that you know I think Terry's a better player right now. I think Devontae has a better higher ceiling. I'll say that I think Devontae has a higher ceiling. But can you take it? We've been talking about this for days, Jody. Can you take advantage of that ceiling without a vehicle to get you the football consistently? When we talk about other receivers well, coming you've in, you got the vehicle of Carson Wentz going it to Terry McLaurin. I get it, but Terry McLaurin's been going through this since he's been in the NFL, and he's proven that he can overcome uh, lesser than stellar quarterback play at times and still put up big numbers. And they also have a different philosophy on the offensive side of the football than the Eagles, who are run first, run heavy, and we'll see if that changes. But we got Randy Brown waiting, so we should probably get to our first break. All right. 
the well, legendary, I'm going to call him legendary special teams uh, coach in the Baltimore Ravens. And the guy who has mentored the best kicker in the history of football for years and years and years. And he also used to be your mayor, Jody. How much credit is he going to take for uh, the best? I take it all. I can't speak for Randy, but I take it all. Take it all. Why not? Yes, the former mayor of Marlton, New Jersey, and uh, special teams assistant and kicking specialist coach for the Baltimore Ravens. Randy Brown joins us next here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian in my heart. I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Appreciate you hopping in on Birds 365. McMullen and McDonald with you. Uh, We're joined by a guest who certainly got the uh, Delaware Valley roots, but he's getting all the success in the NFL down the turnpike on I-95, including a Super Bowl ring, which I've seen him wear proudly. Uh, the <laughs> special teams assistant, kicking coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens, the former mayor of Malta, New Jersey, my hometown, Randy Brown, jumps aboard Aaron Birds 365. Hello, Mr. Mayor. Good morning, John. Hey, Jody Mack, do me a favor. <laughs> what do you need, buddy? 
Jody, for all the years I've listened to you, I've never once been able to be on a show with you and ask you to do me a favor. Oh, there we go. Never. Now, how many? Here's the key. Right? But wait, John. But wait, John. Yeah. Jody Mack, as one of my constituents, has asked the mayor to do him a favor. That's what I was never, about to say. Never how once much, have I asked you for much? anything, Brown. Don't be lying to the people here on Birds 360. <laughs> that, that was my, how much, that was my first question, Randy. How much has Jody used his star status in the Delaware Valley to take advantage of, of, of the average citizen by trying to get to the front of the line in Marlton, New Jersey. It, it only had to do with girls' basketball and the Blue Barn. <laughs> Fair enough. That's you true. So He's got to be there. Times, that's all, but it all has to do with the kids. You know, Jody's never once, like some other uh, local radio host, maybe went a little too fast and had speeding <laughs> tickets back uh, in the day. <laughs> no, uh, oh, you're right. I, I, uh, a I certain retiring that. radio host. Helping I'll, out I'll someone out. else, like uh, young aspiring girls basketball players. Yes, then I might actually try and take advantage of uh, my <laughs> uh, friendship with the mayor of town. But that's it. Nothing for uh, yours truly. I'm only looking out Never for Never one time. Never one time. <laughs> All right, RB, uh, let's talk about uh, your your landing with the Ravens, how long you've been down there, how it all came about. I know, as I said, I've seen the uh, Super Bowl ring that you wear proudly and more power to you, buddy. How did it uh, come to fruition that you became a uh, Ravens coach? Hey, you know, guys, um, this is my 15th season with the Ravens now, and uh, very blessed to it. It, it, believe it or not, it starts back in 1998 when I was with the Chicago Bears. Me and a young coach named John Harbaugh got our first starts in the National Football League in 1998. And we found ourselves sitting next to each other at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis as two brand new coaches literally spent two or three days talking football, talking sports. I had no idea who John Harbaugh was, and he had no idea who Randy Brown was because I'd just spent eight years coaching at Cherokee High School and Holy Cross High School. So, um, we became dear, dear friends. As you guys know, I coach here in Philadelphia in 04 and 05 with John. And then as soon as he got the uh, head job at uh, in Baltimore, um, I was one of his first calls. And we have been together since. And um, he is just a special friend. He's a great father um, and a great husband and one of the best coaches in the history of the National Football League. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I, I've thought this for years. In recent seasons, Randy, when NFL teams have needed, uh, and it's really sparked during the COVID area, but, you know, guys test positive, you need a head coach on, on, on short term for the week. And this has been a trend in the NFL where they look to the special teams coach because he's the guy, other than the head coach who talks to the whole team, who's involved with the whole team. So the thought process was he might be better prepared. And I, I've always thought about John, and he was so successful, and he has been so successful. Why do you think more special teams coaches aren't looked at seriously during the hiring cycles around the NFL? You know, John, um, we, have a, we have a very close-knit community of special teams coaches, okay? Very close-knit. And, you know, we get to talk in front of the team. We are the only other coach outside of the head coach who gets to talk to the entire team different times during the week, even not even, you know, through the year, but for the week, uh, you know, John, John's done it. Uh, you know, uh, people forget, you know, Bill, Bill Cower and Bill Belichick and George Allen, three of the greatest coaches in the history of the game, all started as special teams coaches. 
Um, and I know as a group of, of guys, I could sit here and name guy after guy. And, uh, you know, some of the greatest coaches that have ever coached special teams never got a chance to be head coaches. Um, John, that's always been a big mystery to, to all of us as a group of special teams coaches. Uh, a lot of special teams coaches have gotten assistant head jobs. Chris Tabor took over for Chicago this year. Um, you know, Darren Rizzi is one of the best special teams coaches. He's now the assistant head coach in New Orleans. Dave Tobe, as we all know, started here in Philly. Dave Tobe is easily one of the best special teams coaches that's ever done it. Um, we were lucky enough to have Jerry Rosberg. So uh, that, that's really an interesting question, John. And, and I'll have an easy answer for you. But I'd love to see half a dozen more special teams coaches as head football coaches in our league. And oh, by the way, I thought Rich Passaccia did a really yeah, nice job. Tremendous job. Yeah. Joe, uh, Jody, I'm, thanks for bringing Rich up. I can't yeah. believe I forgot. I apologize. What a job he did, really did, in keeping that team together <clears throat> and taking that team to the yeah. playoffs. Kudos to Rich. Uh, but yeah, thanks for bringing him up, Jody. That's not a problem. Uh, and besides the point, uh, funny reality. Uh, we got Randy Brown on here, Martin, New Jersey, my hometown. My other hometown, Yonkers, New York, hometown of Rich Passaccia. Yeah, so go. I've got a karmic thing with you special teams guy coaches. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But um, but let me take you back a decade, Coach. You're working with Harbaugh, with the Ravens. You got a pretty good kicker. Didn't draft the guy in the draft. But you had interest in Justin Tucker and signed him as an undrafted free agent. God, that's got to be one of the best signings in the history of the <laughs> National Football League. Um, you, others, what brought the signing together? At the time, I, I'm banking you're not thinking, we just signed the greatest field goal kicker in the history of the National Football League. Give us the backstory when you did take him on as an undrafted free agent in 2012. So, remember, we had Billy Cundiff, who we, we, we got from Dallas, who was the street free agent, and you know we only turned him into a Pro Bowl kicker. And uh, so Jerry Rosberg had coached in Cleveland and was very close with Phil Dawson. And you guys remember Phil Dawson went to uh, Phil Dawson, arguably one of the top 10, 15 kickers ever played the game. Um, he went to University of Texas. So Jerry was just trying to scour all the unrestricted uh, undrafted free agents to try to find a camp leg to come in and just kick with Billy. And him and Phil Dawson talked. And Jerry Rosberg got on a plane, flew down to Texas, and he found Justin Tucker. So, you know, the, the, the story is so well documented. But it comes up here, and I'll fast forward to the first day of training camp. Justin got out the kick. Ball went all over the place. Me and Jerry brought him upstairs, closed the door, and for the better part of two to two and a half hours, said, if you want to kick in the NFL, this is how you have to kick. And we talked about foot placement, foot the ball, swing playing, all of that. And Justin took to great coaching. And I don't think, Jody, he missed a kick for two or three days right after it. And But you know, this is the thing, right? You got we've, we've all been around enough sports. When football contact happens in National Football League for any kicker and punter, you hear a boom, yeah. boom. You don't hear like a slap, right? So when you're on the field with Justin Tucker – it, it, all the way back in 2012, boom, you heard it and you knew it. And meanwhile, you got Billy Condiv just banging kickoff 70 yards through the end zone. So we had a very, we were in a very good position, but it all started with Jerry talking to Phil Dawson and finding Justin Tucker at Texas. Yeah. Talk about a, a camp kicker, the greatest camp leg in the history <laughs> of the world, uh, Justin Tucker. But, but seriously, Randy, 
you know, he's in the prime of his career still. And I look at him and I say, this is the greatest kicker of all time. I mean, when the ball, you're talking about the ball coming off somebody's foot. I see Jake Elliott every day at practice and, and, and your son teaches him now. He's coming off, by the way, his best uh, career season. It's pretty impressive to watch the ball come off his foot. It's not like Justin Tucker. It, it just explodes off his foot. And I'm sitting here as the most accurate kicker of all time. He's got, last year he broke the record with the 66-yard field goal. I think we're at seven or eight all-pro bursts. Is it official? Is this the greatest kicker of all time in the NFL? Um, obviously, I'm biased. But as you guys know, I've been kicking a football myself since the early 80s. Um, I grew up across the street from the great Joe Scarpati, Jody Mack. Remember Joe Scarpati, the holder of Tom Dempsey's 63-yard yeah, field goal? About, yeah. And Joe Scarpati still lives here in Marlton. Um, yeah, John, and it's, ha- it's not just me. It's uh, Belichick, it's Harbaugh, Jerry Rosberg, Chris Horton. We've all of us been around it. Justin's the greatest kicker that's ever played the game, okay? And I could sit here and go through stat after stat of all the kicks he's made in fourth quarters and overtimes consecutive, but he's got a Super Bowl ring. He's got the longest kick in the history of the game at 66 yards with no wind at no elevation and the most accurate kicker in the history of the game. Now, to your point earlier, John, I don't think there's any arguing. It's 10 years. Um, you know, has Vinatieri had great career? Yes. David Aker's great career? Yes. But end of the day, you got to go win a Super Bowl with a 55-yard field goal. I'm digging Justin Tucker. I'm very interested to uh, hear about your ongoing relationship with uh, Tyler Brown who uh, certainly you truly knows because he went to the same high school as my daughter, the same one that uh, Randy Brown went to, Cherokee, which give the uh, Lady uh, Chiefs a shout-out. They won the South A uh, Group 4 uh, championship uh, in basketball uh, two days ago. And what a great job Ronnie Powell's done there, right, Jody Mack? I mean, what an amazing job. And he won this year without a Terrian. I think it's the first time he's <laughs> going to have a Terrian to win a championship. I was <laughs> shooting the breeze with Terrian at the game on uh, Wednesday, as a matter of fact. He, like me, just still a proud Cherokee dad. Anyway, uh, so you, your son goes to Cherokee like you. Uh, he decides to get into football, get into coaching, and he gets the gig this year with the Eagles. I'm sure that you and he worked together from the time he was a little kid, teaching him how to kick through him becoming a coach and the like. At what point did you say, or did you have to say, all right, I can't teach anymore. Now you're the opposition. Now you're, I'm a Raven. You're an Eagle. I love you, son, but uh, no more secrets from dad. You're on your own. You got to make yourself a great coach. Well, we just came back from five days together, um, three of them in Indianapolis and two of them in Arizona. Uh, we share all information. Uh, okay. He's my kid because right? we're not on their schedule. If we were on their schedule, we'd be on different planes and different hotels. We don't play the Eagles. Um, uh, Jody, I'm so proud of my son, Tyler. As you said, he's a Cherokee kid. Um, but he, a lot of people don't know, guys. Um, my son and I, uh, I raised my son – uh, by myself starting when he was 16 months old and I raised him all the way till he was eighth grade by myself and with the help of course of extended family. So my kid is seven years old on the field at soldier field on the practices running around as a seven-year-old. And back then everybody could be on the field and games and practices. 
You know, he was on the field with us at Cherokee High School, Jody. He was on the field at Holy Cross with Tommy Madeira in 94, 95, 96. Um, he's, he was a, he's a coaching rug rat. He really was. And I took him to Stanford. You, you'll, I think you'll enjoy this. I know what kind of time frame we're on under, guys. So I'm going to keep talking to you. Tell me I have to Go stop. Go for it. Nice. Um, Go for it. But I took him out to Stanford University to a camp with Jim Harbaugh when Jim invited, invited me out to do a camp. Tyler was a sophomore at Cherokee, Jody. And there he is working with all the holders because I taught my son how to hold. So I figured if he teach him how to hold, then he, he can teach everybody else in front of him. So he is working with uh, the senior holder at Stanford as a sophomore in high school. And I just saw him working with him. I knew right then and there, my kid's going to be a coach one day. So he went to Rowan. Um, he graduated from Rowan, became a, a, a teacher down in Berlin, coach sports, PE teacher. And then Matt Rule hired him at Temple to coach specialists. And then Jim Harbaugh got him at, at Michigan. But uh, it's, it's a great story. My son's a hell of a coach. He knows more than I did when I was 30. And, uh, and what they did in Philadelphia with Jake and with Aaron and with Rick Lovato to put that group together. We all know how hard it is to kick footballs in the NFL, number one. It's even harder to kick footballs in Philadelphia. It's harder to kick field goals in Baltimore and Pittsburgh and Cleveland and yeah. Washington. So for Justin and, and Jake to miss two kicks all season in a 17-game season, it's remarkable the work that those uh, six guys have put together. Yeah, that battery was really impressive for the Eagles. And, and it does take all three because, you know, you have a change at punter and, and you go from Camp Johnston to Aaron Sipos and, and Sipos. And I know those guys were working the entire offseason about getting together and the chemistry and, and, and what it takes uh, just to hold. So the whole thing has to be perfect. And obviously Jake uh, had his career year, but, Randy, Michael Clay, who was uh, um, your son's boss in Philadelphia, the special teams coach, a great young special teams coach, you know, he often says to us that he's not an expert at kicking, so it's wonderful to have uh, Tyler around to speak the language of, of, of Jake Elliott is what he says and um, Aaron Sipas. What is the language of kicking? What is Michael Clay saying that makes those guys comfortable that maybe Randy Brown knows that that other people don't know. Um, so first credit goes to Howie and Nick, because if Howie and Nick uh, didn't, didn't agree that, Hey, it's time to bring a specialist guy in, you know, um, and what Michael Clay has done and believe it or not, guys, I think Michael Clay is three months younger than Tyler. Yeah. Yeah. Who are both 30. So you talk about great young coaches. This is our future, right? This is how we move. And, um, I'm proud of, and what I love about Michael Clay is not only is he young, he's smart, he's articulate, but listen to his press conference. He gives credit to everybody. The guy gives credit to Tyler for coaching Gunners. He gives yeah. credit for yeah. Joe P for coaching this. For, so as, a, as an older special teams coach in this league for two decades, you love, are the younger guys, what are they talking about, right? So what kind of language do we use? Lingo, John, it's real simple. Don't miss. <laughs> that, <is great. laughs> yeah, that, that is kind of well, it is funny day. because you know uh we had brandon cristal who covers the broncos at denver on yesterday and he reminded me of a great john fox quote and and john said um you know show me a good coach and i'll show you great players is is, is that what it boils down to um 
it, it, it's a misnomer that NFL players don't need coaching. Okay. And there's a lot of NFL players who not only need coaching, they want coaching. All right. I've not met a player in my 20 years in the national football league in the national football league that is straight out said to me, don't coach me. Okay. Because these guys are interested in their second contract, third contract. They've got families. All right. So these guys want to be the greatest. Remember now we're dealing with the world's greatest athletes in the game of football. So they want to set themselves above and, and I've got to give credit. I've had three of the greatest players in the history of the game at their positions, Morgan Cox, he redid, he, he reinvented how you be a long snapper in the NFL, Sam cook. We're all punting in the NFL, like Sam cook. Now, you know, those yeah. footballs, endoglands, yeah. liners, that Sam cook. We started doing that in 2014. He changed the game. Where do you know Justin Tucker changed the game? Sam cook changed the game on the hold. Imitation is the serious form of flattery, right? You watch these teams. They snap like the Ravens do now. They hold like the Ravens do now. And they're trying to kick like the Ravens do now. It's because of Morgan, Sam, Justin. And now we've got Nick Moore as our other long snapper um, that, that took over. Had a Pro Bowl season. Should have been the Pro Bowl long snapper. But um, when you encapsulate all of that, John, it's all guys working together and have one voice. And it's the same voice of trying to make kicks. And whether it's the best snap, best hold, over the spot, laces, all that works together, but we prefer not to miss. All right, I'll, I'll tell a quick story here to get to the question I want to ask. Uh, the then mayor of Malton, New Jersey, once asked me if I could show up at a dinner. He said I didn't have to speak, just he wanted me to be there glad hand. It was a charity affair he was doing, so it was for a very good cause. And I said it'd be my pleasure. And one of the other guys he wrangled in was David Akers. So I got to hang with Acres and talk to Acres a bunch, but we did. We got out there. We took press the flesh and helped uh, raise some money for a very good cause. Acres was previous to, and I knew him before the uh, the night that I spent as much time as I did with him that night, as one of the most active kickers I had ever seen. He considered himself a football player. He was a tremendous athlete and a strong guy. You don't usually think of kickers that way. If anything, people make fun of kickers, that they're not really football players, which I know you disagree with, Randy <laughs> Brown. Um, but Akers was a guy who took it to another level. Have you? How do you handle kickers? Do you want them to be like David, to want to make every single tackle, to get involved, to stick their nose in there, to risk potential injury when they're very important? I don't know, like Justin Tucker on the Ravens. How do you work with your kickers on the fact that once you kick the football, the play goes on? How much do you really want them involved after that point? I don't want them involved at all. Zero. Zero. Preseason, come run off the field. There's 10 guys to tackle. All right? Akers, Akers would have told you to get lost, Brown. No, no way. I'm making a tackle. Of course. And he, and he did plenty of times. And I'll bet you I'm surprised he's not live streaming this and trying to call in to tell me that. Okay? <laughs> And, and you mentioned you mentioned David, um, and and I'm I'm just going to regress for a second. Um, you know, there, there's not only one of the greatest kickers of all times, one of the greatest in Eagles history, if not the he's the greatest in Eagles history. Let's see what Jake does. Um, Jody, the dude is a, what a great mom, what a great dad, what a great role model. His son played at UCLA the last two years. His son is now kicking at Northwestern, but David wanted to be part of the team. And he felt the way to be part of the team is the way you just described it, Jody. He wanted to be part of the team. So 
so often our players don't feel like they're part of the team all the time. The specialists don't in the National Football League. That's their way of being part of the team. But when you got a guy, I don't know, 220, running back, running kickoff back, and he's running full speed and he's already at 50 yards and you're the 185-pound kicker, I prefer you not get in his way because <laughs> it's not going to end well. Your body's not used to that. So, But uh, Justin stuck his nose in. Justin's had a few tackles. Sam Cook has had plenty of tackles at times. But you, you try to dissuade him. You teach the other 10 guys, you all want to pay your mortgage? We got to protect this guy. So we all got to tackle before the ball gets in. <laughs> Well, Randy, I, 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 you've had so much success in this industry. Tyler's already set the bar high. Uh, and I know what you're most proud of, and that's your kids. The biggest star in the family, though, is younger than both of you. Tell us about Ryan. Uh, oh, Ryan daughter, Brown. Yeah, my daughter, Ryan. Um, she has embarked on a, a pop music career, and it, it's been great. Um, you can follow her at Ryan Brown Music on Instagram. Um, we have Jody, remember, um, 2014, um, Christina Grimmie, Marlton's yeah. Christina Grimmie won the voice, right? So Christina was murdered after a show, June of 2016, um, the night before the pulse shootings happened down in Orlando. She was at the arena in Orlando. The pulse shootings, as you know, happened further away. I was mayor at the time and jo- Jody at that 2014, July, 2014, uh, July 4th, 2014, she sang at our 4th of July right here at Cherokee yeah. High School, Jode. Uh, so um, we've remained very close with the Grimmy family, very, very close. Um, uh, Christina's mom, Tina, passed away uh, recently of breast cancer. So it's Marcus and Bud. And uh, my Ryan um, is doing a duet with Christina, and it drops on Friday. Um, it is a great song. It's an upbeat anthem song, Rule the World. And we were so blessed to, to be able to have some of Christina's voice vocals still. And Marcus and Bud Grimmy uh, put it together for us. And you guys are going to love it. It's a, it's a, I've already had some talks with some networks about using it for women's sports um, and some of my good friends. But, you know, Christina Grimmy's foundation is tremendous. It, it helps families dealing with tragic losses. And my Ryan is just, she literally just turned 16 in January. She's written three or four different songs. We'll have nine songs come out by the summertime. Um, and we've worked with, we're going, we're leaving. The reason I'm doing this morning, we're going over to the great Joe Niccolo's uh, studio today. Um, you know, Joe Niccolo, Roughhouse Records, uh, 13 Grammys. Joe is uh, starting to produce some of her music too. Um, we're doing a, a great piece with NBC 10 today. My dear friend, Sydney Long's doing a great piece. You guys will see it on TV tomorrow. But yeah, I'm proud of her. She writes her music. She's worked really hard. She talks about mental health and depression in her in her in her in her writings. And and so guys, we all know we love talking sports, right? And it's an outlet for us. Well, a lot of the people who are not sports people, guys, right? They're music, their arts, their writing. All right. And Ryan is that. Ryan couldn't care less. Ryan, you know, Jody, she Ryan won the last uh, Malton Rec basketball eighth grade championship like three years ago at the Blue Barn, right? And after that game, she said to me, Dad, I'm never playing another sport again. <laughs> so, <laughs> But our kids need more outlets than just sports. And too often we push them to that and let them go dance. Let them go be in plays because that's what – how do we get our kids to grow? And we put them in circumstances like that. And she loves it. And my eighth-grade daughter, Mackenzie, she's the lead in Shrek, uh, eighth grader at DeMacy. And that is, that is this Friday night. So next Friday night. 
Yeah, they see that's where we part ways. Demacy is uh, uh, not the grammar school that my daughter went to. Sorry, Jagger is the way to go. <laughs> if you're here in Marlton, otherwise, uh, Brown and I have been on a lot of the same paths. That one we had to divert a little bit. All right, I'll be the bad guy. I'll bring us back to football one more time because I do have one more question for you. Have you done any scouting on the punter from San Diego State? Oh yeah, because this kid. You talk about the sound that it makes. When the ball leaves your foot, this kid is unreal. He did things this year that have never been done before by a punter on a collegiate level. Uh, nobody ever drafts a punter. If they do, it's it's certainly day three and uh, probably the seventh round. You've got Justin Tucker undrafted. I, I'm hearing this kid's going day two. That second or third round, somebody is going to use a pick on a punter. And if he can do what he did on the collegiate level, on the pro level, he's actually a weapon. Have you had a chance to review tape? I'm going to like, how high do you think he's going to get drafted this year? So, as you know, Jody, there's only – I really can't speak about other players right now except my own. But I was at the Combine this week. I was on the field at the Combine. There are some really good young punters and kickers coming out this year. And I really believe there's a chance that some of these punters can can jump on teams and make a difference this season. Um uh, he's one of them, you know, he's one of them. And uh, we go back to what I had said 20 minutes ago. You hear it. And Jody, if you hear it, you can teach it. You know, you know, in the, you know we always talk about basketball. You can't teach, teach height, right? Can't teach yeah. height. I can teach him yeah. how to shoot foul, foul shots. I can teach him to pass. I can teach him to rebound. In NFL, if, in kicking, let's just say kicking, you can't hear, you can't teach thud. You can't. Because when a guy, it's like with soccer, man. When a guy has a shot, you can't teach it. When that, he, when somebody knows how to, like the great Carly Lloyd, right? Who's a dear friend, greatest, yeah. great, greatest women's soccer player in history. Nobody, nobody, all right, struck a ball like the way Carly struck it for many, many years. So that's what it is. So um, I expect him plus others to be in the NFL. This is a good, this is a good crop of kids coming out this year, Joe. Good to hear. By the way, Randy, when you guys were here, I think that was when Carly Lloyd, you were doing joint practices, the Ravens with the Eagles. And I believe that's when Carly Lloyd created sort of a, a viral sensation. She kicked like a 50-something yard field goal. Now, Yeah, I invited her over that day, John. I yeah. invited her over to be my guest. And, uh, and I said, do me a favor. The night before, I said, Bring your shoes with you. <laughs> true story. True story. And Carly will tell you. We were Carly and I were texting this morning. So true story. And I said, bring your shoes with you. So I figure it's all done. I mean, it's Jake. It's Tuck. It's Sam. It's all of us, yeah. right? Yeah. And Carly's friends with every all those guys, by the way. And next thing you know, we're on the field by ourselves, right? It's just my kids, my yeah. wife filming. I was there, and, <laughs> but farther away. And then, yeah, you were further away, right? Yeah. Yeah. And next thing you know, old John Clark kind of sneaks his way over, yeah. like, what's going on over here, right? And so we were lucky to get the video of her kicking the 55-yarder, and uh, gosh, she struck the ball well. I mean, yeah, she did. <laughs> and people are talking, should Carly Lloyd be an NFL kicker? Which, you know, obviously, she had to, you know, run up a little bit. You know, Justin's powering that through with that. But it is amazing that she can strike the ball like that, and you know, I'll leave you with this because I know you got to go to uh, King of Prussia, but um, 
There was a kid from Norway that you had, I think, in 2019. Corey Vedvik. Corey Vedvik. And I think Minnesota traded for him for a fifth-round pick. What's it feel? Like, Corey, uh, he, he, he had a strong leg. I thought he kicked and puntered, right? He was a punter as well. And yeah, so Corey was 14 for 15 on field goals with us in two preseasons. And he yeah. kicked off, he punted, and he kicked field goals. Yeah. So he had this tremendous – but what does it feel like that everybody looks – you mentioned the Ravens. Everybody kicks like the Ravens. Everybody wants to do things like the Ravens. They say, oh, the Ravens have a camp kicker. Let's go trade for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the Ravens are the standard when it comes to special teams, and Randy Brown's a big part of that. Does that ever seep in there? Or you got to keep your, you know, got to keep your ego in check. Now, you know, we, we have a great system there. And what, who, what Jody and John, people don't talk about, you know, Graham Gano and Steve Hauschka started with me in 2009. Like right, Graham Gano and Steve Hauschka competed for a job as rookies in 2009. And we developed them. We developed a kid named Will Lutz out of Georgia State. Oh, yeah. All right. Who nobody wanted. He was 62% on field goals. I think it was his senior year. It was, you know, just come on, Will. All right, and he's the best kicker in, the, in one of the best in Saints history. What what you know when you come to where we we where we are, Harvest has built such a great environment. We call it the Ravens Kicking Academy, but a lot has to do with Justin and Sam and Morgan and now Nick Moore and me and Chris Horton and Harbs. You build it and you teach them, and guys want to come to you. That's the thing, right? They these 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 undrafted free agents. They want to come and learn from Justin. Who wouldn't want to learn from Justin Tucker? You know, and I, 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 I have these talks all the time, right, with these guys in, you know, right after the draft. Well, you know, Coach, I can go so, so-and-so, but there's going to be three guys. I might win the job there. I said, well, you can come kick for us, and you're going to kick every day with Justin Tucker. And I promise you, you're going to have a job come September. And, the, and the smart ones do that. And the other ones, you know, go in some kicking circus somewhere in the country at a team and they get cut in June. But whatever. We're happy. We've got a great system. And it all starts with that hard build it and lets us do it. So if you're a kicker and you like your thud to be with your pads and you're like David Akers, you don't want to show up with Randy Brown. No, nope. he's going to tell <laughs> nope. you the only thud comes off the foot, son. We don't need you out there tackling. We'll take the three points. Everybody. Nobody's allowed on field three or kicking field. We have no blocking <laughs> sleds. We have no tackling dummies. We have nothing, Jody Mack. Oh, uh, that is funny. Randy, <laughs> good to catch you up again. Congratulations on your daughter. Tell her we wish her nothing but the best. We'll, we'll get a chance to tell your son that when uh, practices start again. Thanks for hopping on board with us today. Guys, always a pleasure. Jode, love seeing you again. John, really, uh, it's good meeting you this first time. See you around town, Jode. Done deal. That is uh, Randy Brown, special team slash kicking coach for the Ravens. Yes, former mayor of my hometown in Malta, New Jersey. Uh, Good dude from here in Philadelphia. And his son, Tyler Brown, is an up-and-coming coach with the Philadelphia Eagles doing a damn good job. set the bar so high, though, Tyler. You know, now Jake Elliott's got to kick like that every year. That's a a high (laughs) bar, man. Yeah, well, I I think Jake's up to the task. He's certainly up to the challenge. John McMullen, Jody McDonald, your Mac and Mac guys here. Uh, come back. We still got some Carson Wentz stuff and other quarterback stuff to talk about. I do want to ask John about what's becoming a bigger story after the fact on the Russell Wilson trade that he may have been pretty staunch in his stance of, yeah, I don't want to be an Eagle. 
It was mm-hmm. a couple teams he didn't want to be part of, but one of them was Washington. <laughs> yeah, and that's why they now have Carson Wentz. So that's yeah. actually okay. But um, should should we be worried? Should be we t- should we be ticked off that Russell Wilson was as adamant of not being a Philadelphia Eagle as it seems that he was? We'll talk about that next when we come back here on Birds Three Sixty Five. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian in my heart. I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Johnny Mac and Jody Mac. Mac and Mac guys on Birch 365. Uh, coming up. Uh, next hour, we're going to have uh, Dan Lust, a, a sports attorney that we've had on several times previously here on the show. Um, some big potential news coming out of Houston tomorrow with the ongoing uh, legal issues with the Sean Watson. And also a uh, story yesterday uh, I saw on Pro Football Talk uh, about uh, the ongoing situation with the uh, lawsuit with the former Dolphins head coach, Brian Flores, and how within his con- – I didn't know this. Shame on me. I guess I should have known this. I'll ask John if he didn't know it. That any dispute with a team when a te- when a coach signs a contract, there's a clause in all NFL head coaches, I guess, unless they negotiate it out, 
that any dispute can be brought to the commissioner and he plays arbitrator that you can't go to a court of law, that you need to go through arbitration as judged by the commissioner of football. Now you got to do it with each individual team because he's suing a bunch of different teams, but he was the Dolphins coach and this is going to be brought in from the commissioner. I, I get why a team would put that into a contract to lessen its exposure to potential lawsuits. But if Flores signed off on this, if the NFL goes through with this and, and Goodell hears it, how bad is that going to look for them? Oh, no, we, we don't want to go into a court of law. We'll just yeah. keep this behind closed doors, behind closed curtains here. That's not good. I, I'm very interested to see what Dan Lust has to say about that. Yeah, it's interesting because they all have uh, NDAs, non-disclosure agreements in them. And it usually kind of takes care of itself because you think about here in Philadelphia, like, okay, Doug Peterson could have went scorched earth, or earth on the Eagles. I won a Super Bowl three years, blah, blah, blah. They didn't let me, you know, he could have done all that, but he wants to be a head coach again. So if you do that, um, another owner will say, well, why am I going to hire this guy? I mean, Coaches are hired to be fired. We always say that. Everybody's got a shelf life. It's very rare that you're in a position for, you know, Bill Belichick like years. And even Bill Belichick was, you know, in and out of other places. It, it, it It's, it's a, I always say it's a very nomadic profession. Um, and even if you're great, Andy Reid here in Philadelphia, um, you got that shelf life and there's going to be turnover. And if you're a head coach, you, generally want to become a head coach again unless you're on that precipice of retirement or something of that nature so it often takes care of itself and it's one of those things where you know the rare outlier and then the problem comes up and it's you know the law of unintended consequences and nobody's probably thinking about this long term but you're right if it comes to it it'll look terrible It'll look terrible from a public relations standpoint, but it's one of those things you don't think about. It's like, well, it's not, you know, I mean, what's the, what's the big deal? Nobody's going to burn bridges out of a certain situation because they want to get in another situation. And all mm -hmm. of a sudden you, you have a situation where guess what? He's okay with burning bridges. Yeah, Flores was ready, willing, and able to go scorched earth. And, oh, by the way, he's still got another coaching gig on top of it. Not a head coach, but he will be uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers this year. How much uh, more mudslinging could you do than Flores did? And he's yeah. still got a job. So yeah. uh, I, I get the point you're trying to make, and the, the way most coaches look at it. Not everyone does, and it'll be very interesting to see how this one shakes out. All right, as I mentioned before the break, Johnny Mack, Want to get your take on the whole uh, Russell Wilson ending up in Denver thing, whereas the report said upwards of 12 teams contacted yeah, the 12. Seahawks about <laughs> uh, potential acquiring Russell Wilson. And the speculation is, and I surely believe it, that the Philadelphia Eagles were certainly one of them. He did not get traded here. No one from the Eagles has commented and said, yes, we inquired. Yes, here's what we offered. Yes, they said no. Here's the reason why they said no. So it's a uh, good bit of rampant speculation, but there are a lot of good reporters out there that get stuff off the record. I've seen that Russell Wilson said that he really wasn't interested in becoming a Philadelphia Eagle that he wasn't interested in becoming a Washington commander either. And I don't know how many other teams were in the mix that Seattle w went to Russell Wilson with because he had a no trade clause team could have offered their next 10 first round draft picks. 
And if Russell Wilson didn't want to go there, the Seahawks had to say, oh, well, can't trade him for you. Doesn't want to yeah. come to you. He's got the hammer. He's got the no trade clause. Uh, but just working under the assumption that Russell Wilson said, no, thank you, when uh, asked if he would want to become a Philadelphia Eagle. Should that bother the Philadelphia Eagle fans? Should that make them uh, angry? Do you hold it against Russell Wilson or do you hold it against the Philadelphia Eagles that they haven't built up this team well enough for another team? And this will get into another debate slash conversation of comparing the Eagles to a different team. I'm surprised that both you and Barrett Brooks think as of today, the Washington commanders have a more talented roster than the Eagles. I don't. Uh, I don't think the a lot Denver- of Eagles fans agree with us, evidently. Because they're all worried. Well, we're not in a position to to win. Uh, that's uh, I, I wouldn't say a lot, but sick of being upsold at gyms. My guy, you're currently a base member. For ninety dollars more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For hundred and thirty more, you'll be a swole member. And for just three hundred dollars more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy. Always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. There are some that that carry that sentiment, and shame on them for that. Um, I I think the Eagles have a better roster than Denver. Before the trade went down, now you put Russell Wilson on Denver, you might think Denver's better. But before the trade, I I think the, the Eagles made the playoffs, the Broncos didn't. The Broncos hadn't made it five years in a row, as a matter of fact, and Russell Wilson preferred their roster. Now, Russell hasn't spoken. I don't think he's going to speak about his thought process as to what team he wanted to go to. Love to have that conversation. with. See if you can book him for next week, John. See if you can get Russell Wilson here on the show. Um, uh, I think it had more to do with geography than it did handicapping the two teams. I will certainly admit that the Eagles and the Broncos are close that it's not like the Broncos are one of the worst and Eagles one of the best. They're both in the middle of the pack, need to get better football teams. But uh, Russell Wilson made his decision to not come here and play in Philadelphia. How should Philadelphia fans look at that? Um, I wouldn't be too upset because I think in Russell's case, it was an entire East Coast thing. Um, And he turned down Washington as well. Um, so, you know, it would have been interesting if the Giants got involved. Uh, I don't know because, you know, New York has a different uh, cachet uh, than, let's be honest, Philadelphia and even uh, D.C. So um would have been interesting if he would have shifted his thinking for that. But in all these situations, it always comes down. I think, you know, it, it rarely comes down to what you're, you're saying, Jody, and that somebody's looking at, two competing rosters and saying, now sometimes it does. Sometimes guys are at the end of their career and say, all right, I want to go win one and I got to look at who's with me. So it's not, I'm not saying it never happens, but a lot of times and more often than not in situations like this, it could be something like geography. It could be something we talked about with uh, Jeff Mosher yesterday and no state taxes in Florida or Texas. They have an advantage, uh, especially when you're making, millions of dollars that's a significant portion of your income um it could be comfort in a certain situation you know maybe a florida kid wants to play in florida uh maybe a 
Pennsylvania kid, East Coast kid. I know Jonathan Gannon said, well, why'd you come? He had a chance to be a defensive coordinator a bunch of places last year. And his wife is, uh, you know, he had been stuck in the Midwest uh, for a number of years. And his wife was an East Coaster and preferred to live on the East Coast. And he wanted to be on the East Coast because of that. So, you know, maybe blame Ciara. No, I'm just kidding. Don't blame uh, Russell Wilson's wife. But uh, he didn't want to play on the East Coast. So I wouldn't get too upset about it. It wasn't like he said, I don't want to play for the Philadelphia Eagles because the Philadelphia Eagles stink. He didn't want to play on the East Coast. He wanted to be closer to the West Coast. Um, and that's why he made the decision he made. But, you know, I do think part of, um, and I talked about it, receivers, I've been talking about it a lot because people said, well, the Eagles need this. And, you know, I never thought Mike Williams would get to the market. And he didn't. But even if he did, he wasn't going to consider here. Um, if, if somebody has other options right now at that particular position, um, they're probably going to look elsewhere. On the other hand, if you want to be an offensive lineman, you know, you might want to come to Philadelphia because we just talked with Randy Brown about kick, kickers want to go to Baltimore, even if it's just an intern and then get a job somewhere else. Offensive linemen should want to come to Philadelphia, you know, so it's always in the moment, you know, in the moments, you know, why would a big-time receiver want to come to Philadelphia as a free agent? In the moment, you know, back in 2017, that's the reason Alshon Jeffrey came here because he looked at the landscape and he said, I think this kid, ironically, because of their later fractured relationship, I think this kid's got a chance to be a, a real star in Carson Wentz. And that's why he chose Philadelphia. That's it. Um, so it always that's always a fluctuating situation from year to year. I I would add to the fact that at least as best I can remember the reporting at the time, and you're more of a football reporter than I am. I'm more of an intaker of information. Yeah, the Eagles put out as good an offer, if not the best offer, for uh, Alshon Jeffrey. No, no, Minnesota offered multiple years and millions more dollars, millions more. He got a one-year prove-it deal to come to Philadelphia. He got a three-year deal for $13 million a year. Now, early in the process, Alshon thought he was going to get $17 million a year, but he had some issues coming off. Uh, he had a, a PED suspension. He had some injury issues, and the market wasn't what it, he thought it was going to be. But he got multiple-year offers, and he got more than one. That was his biggest one. He got multiple years, and he came to Philadelphia to play with Carson Wentz, which I think is hilarious now that you look at it in, in, in hindsight. But he thought, and if you remember, Jody, he made that bold prediction preseason, we're going to go to the Super Bowl, which everybody laughed at. And all of a sudden, he's sitting there with the sunglasses at the Mall of America, taking it all in during Super Bowl week, uh, you know, saying, I told you, I yeah. told you we're going to be um, – he took less money and bet on himself, and then he got the extension anyway, which didn't work out for the Eagles, but it worked out for him, and then the relationship went in a different way. But, no, he had better offers than Philadelphia. His Super Bowl prediction uh, worked out much better than 
Vince Young's dream team prediction yeah. worked out. So sometimes it's uh, good to, to go out there on the limb. Sometimes the limb comes out from underneath you and you look awfully foolish. Um, all right. So uh, the reason why I brought uh, Russell Wilson up, it is water under the bridge and nothing you can do about it now. And if you're going to get all bent out of shape or put off, you're only going to make yourself crazy. But the reason why I think we still need to consider it is there's one franchise quarterback that is still out there to be had at some point. And like I said, we're going to talk to Dan Les coming up here in about uh, 10 minutes or so, and we'll get some more background information on the legal issues that Deshaun Watson has. Much like Russell Wilson, he's got a no-trade clause in his contract. So even though the Texans desperately want him gone, even though the NFL wants to be able to interview him for what transpired, and he is rightfully said, I'm not talking to anybody while I still have potential criminal charges hanging over my head. A lot of individuals, a lot of groups, a lot of people would like to move this story forward. It will at some point, and Dan will give us some insight to it coming up in 10 minutes from now. But then we're back to, and he has a no-trade clause. Yeah. So he's going to, at some point, even with all this stuff lined up against him, most of it of his own doing, he's got one big hammer. He's going to be able to dictate yeah. where he goes to. Uh, are we wasting time, energy, and emotion on Deshaun Watson when there's been no indication, no on-the-record indication for or against the fact that he wants to get here? But you've said, I don't know how many times you're on the show, he doesn't want to come to Philadelphia. That that's been pretty well documented. What's going to change? What's potentially uh, uh, something that could change that could land Deshaun Watson here in Philadelphia? Lack of avenues. Um, you know, and that's when, when Joe Banner wrote his piece that I was talking about earlier in the week and he labeled the Eagles, the most likely team to get him. He addressed, you know, because he addressed the no trade clause because he turned down the Eagles last year. Um, when, you know, teams were looking, uh, to potentially acquire Deshaun Watson, he said he wouldn't waive it for the Eagles. Now, a number of things have changed. I said at the time last year, and it didn't, he didn't get traded anyway. Um, last year, the Eagles were a much more uncertain situation. Rookie head coach who didn't come across well early in the process, no playmakers. And, and now you fast forward a year, and Nick Sirianni proved to be the best rookie head coach. Devontae Smith looks like he's going to be a a star receiver Dallas Goddard is a star tight end and all of a sudden you need more weapons, but it's a lot better than it looked last year at this time um, coming off a four win season. So that's one part of it. Second part of it is look, Miami said they shut the door. Um, that's where he wants to play. That's where he'd prefer to play. Um, now, again, Chris Greer could be lying to you. Again, John Snyder said he wasn't going to trade Russell Wilson. He traded Russell Wilson. I say this all the time. I mean, he could change his mind uh, tomorrow if 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 things uh, clear up for Russell Wilson and all of a sudden if other avenues open. Joe, Joe Banner's take was that the avenues are going to close. One of them did. Washington closed. Washington would have been heavily in that mix. Now they've made their decision. Probably the wrong right, decision. But, probably but too early. Does the Indianapolis door open? Yes. Indianapolis and, uh, opens. Seattle opens. Right. Seattle opens. 
Other one closes, if you're talking about movement of a quarterback, when one closes, usually another one opens. That And the yeah. one place where that probably wouldn't have been was Green Bay. And, oh, by the way, that's where the guy stayed because yeah. they probably would have turned to love. Yeah. Now that you don't even need that. So uh, although it's a carousel, we're not necessarily creating openings. Yeah. And, you know, Carolina is still open. Um, and, I, you know, there was talk that he would potentially waive it for Carolina last year, but it never came to that. Um, so, look, as of now, he's shown no indication that he would agree to play in Philadelphia. But, again, just like Chris Greer can change his mind, just like John Snyder can change his mind, um, he could change his mind about Philadelphia. But that's why Howie Roseman has gone about this uh, the way he's gone about it. And I wrote about it on Sports Illustrated, and I've said it a hundred times on this show. I don't think it's as complicated as people make it out to be. The Eagles will get better at the position if they can get better at the position. They've identified two players that they wanted, essentially. One is out the window, Russell Wilson, and the other, uncertainty, Deshaun Watson. Those are the two players, and I say that because they know they had no shot at Aaron Rodgers, and I mean zero shot. So forget about Aaron Rodgers. Um, they identified two players that they thought would be significant, significant, significant upgrades. And if they could find a path to get them, they would try to get them. They didn't have a path to Russell Wilson. They may never have a path to Deshaun Watson. That's why it's more likely than not come September Jalen Hurts will be the starting quarterback of the Eagles. But the but the but also Howie Roseman would be dumb, the organization would be dumb not to leave the door ajar. In case the stars align, you gotta be ready to pounce. And the Eagles are ready to pounce if the stars align. They've done their due diligence. They're they, you know, Jeffrey Lure's given the go-ahead. Uh, they will give up. They would have give they would have given up that. That hall that that uh, Denver offered a similar type hall that Seattle got from Denver, they would have done something similar. That wouldn't have been the issue. Um, they're ready to go. They just don't have a path. And they don't think the Jimmy Garoppolo's of the world, lateral moves, or if you want to argue slight upgrades, are worth it. So two guys... Door shut on one. Door may never even open on number two. Yeah, the Miami Dolphins said they were shutting the door on Deshaun Watson. And yesterday, the Pittsburgh Steelers said, yeah, don't check our box as uh, in the column of interest in Deshaun Watson. Uh, but that's not something they want to do. Maybe it's an organizational decision that uh, their ownership, their fan base, they don't think they would uh, – except the guy who's got as much hanging over his head as Deshaun Watson does. You're right. The avenues are getting a little thin. They're, as good as Deshaun Watson is with the warts attached to it, there are not all that many teams. So the Eagles could have a chance to play here. All right, let me give you one more scenario. And again, Dan's going to join us coming up in about uh, four or five minutes from now. Make you Nick Serio, the Texans general manager. Let's say this situation doesn't get as re resolved as uh, Watson's attorney, Rusty Arden, thinks. And it drags on a little bit. And we're into April. And we're getting closer to the draft. And it doesn't look like a lot of these questions are going to be answered. 
at some point do you say to yourself, you got your asking price, but your asking price isn't being met out there by any teams, whether Deshaun would or wouldn't uh, accept the trade to them. Do you say, we wait till after the draft? Then your asking price becomes draft picks that you won't be able to get for 11 and a half months. That you're not going to get an increase in your talent on your roster for the 2022 season, but it would also be a less bitter pill to swallow for the team you're asking because they know they don't have to pay with a draft pick this year. At what point does Nick Casario say, yeah, all right, we're going to have to, we, we, we could yeah, potentially I mean, might, get more, yeah. but we know in the short term we're actually taking less because it's going to come down after the draft is done. Yeah, I mean, they want him out of there by the 16th. So, I mean, they want it done as quickly as possible, but, you know, the legal uh, world doesn't give a you-know-what about what the Houston Texans want. So, um those are all part of the issues. Yeah, they definitely want them out of there by March 16th. That's probably, not probably, that's tremendously unlikely because of the cap hit and the guaranteed money. Uh, then comes the draft and then comes after the draft. But they're at the mercy of, of, and we'll talk about that with Dan after the break, they're at the mercy of, of what's going on from the criminal part of this story. Uh, again, I think they can overcome the civil aspect when it comes to dealing to Sean Watson, they almost did it last year and they probably, man, they wish uh, they could have fixed that and be Miami's problem. And then, you know, the thing nobody talks about, they say there's no way Deshaun Watson's going to come back to Houston. And yeah, but if they fire Jack Easterby, he might come back to Houston and play. I don't know if they want him, but they could talk him into it. Uh, nobody talks about that. Uh, I don't know what the Texans, I don't know if Jack Easterby has, um, you know, pictures of, <laughs> I don't know why they're, why they're hanging on to him like grim death, but they could just turn around and say, you know what? We have a top five quarterback, 26 years old. And if nobody's going to give us uh, what, what he's worth because of these issues, why not? we try to uh, replicate the relationship with him. Right. But let me, let me hop in here, John, because I want to ask you a question and Dan's going to join us coming up in just a couple minutes. Um, you just were talking about, Oh shoot. What was that? Um, uh, owner pulling the strings above and beyond the general managers. Jack uh, Easterby. No, no, uh, uh, we talked about it earlier in the show. Damn. Why am I not remembering the conversation that we had about an owner? Oh, well, uh, Colts. That oh. they're, they're Frank Reich and or maybe even the general oh, manager Mercer. were ready yeah. to go back uh, and give Carson another shot. Yeah. But the owner stepped in and goes, no, 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 no. My team, I don't like this guy. He's not a leader. He didn't get back. Get him the hell out of there. So yeah. basically at some point, it comes down to a ownership decision, level decision. Is that what we're looking at in, in Texas? Can Yeah, it always does. I mean, you know, and, and Bruce Arian said that at the combine. I mean, I, I love Bruce Aarons because they were asking him and Tampa Bay's another team because Tom Brady's gone, right? Um, and so he got asked about Sean Watson and you just cut it off and he said, that's that's an organizational decision. In other words, that's above my pay grade. Yep. That's, you know, the, the owner's got to approve that, period. Anywhere. And yes, Houston as well. So the McNairs, you know, they would have to approve that, um, anything moving forward. And by the way, very unlikely to happen. I just, 
you know, the fracture in Houston, which started before all the sexual assault allegations. Now, they might not even want to because of that. But remember, this started before all the allegations. And it all stemmed from Jack Easterby, who's this weird sort of in-between figure. And it's like, what? why is it even necessary for that organization? But no, I digress. Yeah, has anyone gotten Deshaun Jackson, uh, Deshaun Watson on the record as to what he thinks about the new Texans uh, head coach? They did, they did change coaches. They fired a coach. They hired a coach because they thought he might be innocuous enough that Deshaun Watson would accept. Then all that stuff blew up about his uh, misadventures with masseuses, and now they've changed coaches again. And I don't think Deshaun's on the record about this one just yet. No, point. he hasn't talked to anybody since he's been in his self, you know, his paid vacation. He's gotten paid this whole time. Can though. we ask Rusty Harden what he thinks about the new Texans head coach? Perhaps yeah. he can speak. Well, Rusty, Rusty, Rusty will talk. Trust me. Right. Uh, all right. Speaking of talking, we're going to do some talking next with Dan Lust, uh, our uh, favorite sports attorney. He's going to hop aboard. We'll talk a little bit Sean Watson, a little uh, Flores, too. We've got lots to do yet here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub. And in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian. In my heart, I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank.
Get your Mac and Mac guys here on uh, Birds 365 on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. What do we need to tell the folks here, John, before we talk to Dan Lush? Uh, like, share, and subscribe so He's, we can get uh, great guests like Dan Lust. That's how he, you do it. He is so much better at that than me. Uh, sports attorney and uh, professor at New York Law, Dan Lust joins us here on Birds 365. Dan, good to have you back. They're keeping you busy these days, all these professional sports leagues with legal issues, huh? You know what? It's a, a little bit of sports law bingo. Uh, it's all over the place. We've got <laughs> betting issues, some civil issues, some criminal issues. So always a pleasure to get the call from you guys. Uh, Dan, uh, for us in Philadelphia, obviously, the biggest story is probably Deshaun Watson and things finally moving forward uh, from a criminal perspective uh, set to bring the case to a grand jury. Kind of explain uh, to the listeners what that means and there's going to be some clarity, at least for NFL teams, once uh, a decision is made by a grand jury, either Friday or early next week. Um, so, uh, yes, yes and no. And if you're not alone in Philadelphia, right, you're also uh, getting the same calls from Tampa and I'm getting the same calls from Carolina. Everyone says this is a very big story, which it is. Right. When we started uh, this past offseason, there were probably four or five really big name quarterbacks that could potentially be moved, right? Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson being one of them, um, you know, and now, right, we're, we're almost done playing musical chairs. Rodgers has returned. Wilson has now moved on. We'll see if Brady wants to uh, unretire, right? Another, another name we're checking off. Um, but Watson, at least, at least me, I'll explain this Friday appearance, um, this presentment to the grand jury is a really big deal. Um, the only reason I'm going to push back, John, Regardless of what happens Friday, we just went through an entire NFL season without criminal charges, just with the civil case, and Deshaun Watson did not play. So it certainly wasn't the criminal case that was keeping him back. He wasn't charged with anything for a full year. So I don't necessarily know if Friday will be clarity, but that is one big domino. So what what the grand jury process is, and I'll keep it pretty, you know, um, you know, pretty, you know, easy to explain. It's a one-sided procedure. The prosecutor gets to go up and cherry pick the best piece of evidence. It's not my cousin Vinny. It's not law and order. It's not, you know, a few good men. There is no defense counsel <laughs> on the other side defending Watson. It's a one-sided procedure. And that's why there's an expression amongst lawyers that a grand jury, if they wanted to, they could even indict a ham sandwich because it's not a real procedure. The prosecutor gets to pick everything. So that's why if you're a statistics person, more often than not, if a grand jury gets the case, if the DA actually gives the case to a grand jury, which they've decided to hear, more often than not, they return an indictment. Um, it's just the numbers here. So if you're a betting guy, I'm going to put it at like minus 200 that they come actually back with an indictment here. So once they get an indictment, let's take another uh, step here. Right. Then they decide what charges they would like to pursue. That there are many different things that Deshaun Watson could be charged with, most of which are misdemeanors, but some of which are uh, felonies. Where does the next step in the process go? How much of it is politically motivated in the decision making in that hometown as to what they want to see happen and how they will best be perceived as uh, the decisions they make as to go forward? Yeah, so there's a couple things here, right? There's 22 plus or 22 women that have filed civil cases against Deshaun Watson. As far as I know, and I heard, um, you know, there was comments from Tony Busby, the attorney who happens to be the attorney for all 22 of these accusers, which you can 
read as being odd or I guess normal. I'm, I'm not sure what to necessarily make of it. But of those 22, only eight are being subpoenaed to the grand jury on Friday. That's not to say that there might be more on Monday or Tuesday, but as of Friday, only eight. So, Jody, you know, there's a question of whether there's going to be a misdemeanor charge here, which is any offense that could be punishable by up to one year in jail or a felony, which is obviously more than one year. The issue for Deshaun Watson, let's say it's a misdemeanor, right? I don't think anyone's thinking that this is going to be some type of violation slap on the wrist. If it's a misdemeanor, the problem is you're dealing with, right, in theory, 22 different women, maybe eight different women. So you have to multiply out those charges. So from a political standpoint, you know, I don't know how you could just charge one case without the other, without more cases being charged. So you're looking at a, you know, an exponentially more, uh, an exponentially longer prison sentence, potentially, um, if there are charges. That's what Watson has to worry about. It's a pattern of offenses. And if you find one case that looks good, two case, three cases, then all of a sudden Watson is looking at a number of potential years, even on a misdemeanor charge. All right. So let's look at the crystal ball, Dan. So you as a lawyer, if your client goes in and you just gave the statistics, if the DA is going to give the case to a grand jury, more likely than not, there's going to be an indictment. From that standpoint, if there's an indictment, the DA still doesn't have to prosecute the case. Is that correct? But in this political type situation, if she's bringing it, it would be an indication that we're going to move forward. Is that how you would look at it? Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll take a couple steps back. They've investigating this case for a full year, right? I think and I've... by the way, while you say that, does that timing, it's been so long, the investigation's been so long. Does that tell you anything? The, uh, just the length of it. Right. No, there's there's two ways to read into it. I think the, the first way, right, we, we all know, right, if there's potentially a murder charge somewhere. So they, they bring charges immediately. Right. There's the big press conference. They bring charges. So those are more open and shut. The fact that this has taken a year tells you that there's a couple things at play. A, it was never open and shut to begin with, that they had to conduct a full investigation. Um, and probably beyond that, too. This is Houston. The Houston Texans are involved. The you know, the DA's yeah. office is probably worried about some political blowback. So they want to make sure they have this. They have this right. So there were some subpoenas that went out for electronic devices toward the end of last year. So either they're deciding to take the case to a grand jury with the same case that was not open and shut as of March of 2021, or probably more likely, they found things along the way that us three, Jody, John, you, we don't know about, but that the police know about that have strengthened the case so much so that they now feel comfortable bringing the case in April. Certainly a lot of ways to read it, but you don't investigate a case for a full year Right. And, and give out, you know, these different subpoenas. Right. To do absolutely nothing with it. So I think the the signal here, um, you know, again, you don't bring the case unless you think you can get a grand jury indictment or else you'll look really stupid. So and you also don't bring criminal charges. Right. Unless you think you can get a conviction. So a lot of things here, the fact that they made the decision to bring it to a grand jury uh, tells you that they think there's enough here that the DA's office won't get blowback from from losing on this. All right, uh, Dan, we're going to drag you into a conversation John and I had yesterday. Let's let's and do it. <laughs> we're both, John and I both readily admit we're faux attorneys. We're just playing games here on YouTube. You're an actual attorney, so we need you to kind of legislate for us. Uh, I said yesterday that I thought there was a possibility, and if there's none, please tell me so. If they do go forward with a case against them and they bring the charges that they bring, but they don't think they can win the felony charges, but they can win the misdemeanor charges. And then the punishment for that charge has flexibility. It can be as little as you plea bargain. It can be as much as you fight for. If 
the charge was you need to plead guilty to misdemeanor charges, but no jail time whatsoever. We're only talking about probation here. We're only talking about paying a fine, whatever it is. He's going to settle the civil suits on his own. But as far as the criminal charges go, no, no jail time whatsoever. Would a plea bargain be possible if he had to admit guilt? Not a no contest plea, which John leaned heavily on yesterday. He might take no contest, but he's not going to say, I'm guilty of anything. I said, if he's looking at like 10 years in jail and they're going to offer him just probation, if you're the attorney for that person, you have to at least uh, bring it to him and say, this is, has to be a consideration. Is there something like that potentially in play that uh, if they get an indictment, there could be a plea bargain? And uh, there could be even an admittance of guilt. Um, so if you take a plea bargain, what it is by definition is admission of guilt. So that's that's number one. And then Jody and John, we're kind of working on a sliding scale here because right now we're only dealing in a vacuum with the criminal case. What's on the other side of this, no matter what happens in the criminal case, no matter what happens in the civil case, Roger Goodell is waiting there on the other side of the sideline and he's waving his hand like, hey, you got to you got to deal with me after this. So, um, you know, I, we looked at it for our, our show, you know, um, I guess last night, but Roger Goodell had a comment. Um, you know, I think it was at the end of October. People were wondering why he was never placed on the commissioner's exemplist because Goodell said, we don't have enough to place him on it. So the second he takes a plea to something, certainly Goodell has enough to punish him, right? So that's right. that's number one. The second, I think Watson gives a deposition in the civil case, which he was about to do. Now he's not, he's going to plead the fifth. I think he's got enough to punish him on the civil in, in, in the NFL world. So he's got a couple arrows pointed at him that will, lead to a suspension. So Jody, John, you kind of asking me, right, what, what the move is here. Um, you know, as lawyers, all we can really do is look at precedent, right? And really, if we're strategizing, we have to look at what has happened recently to help guide us. Trevor Bauer over in the baseball world, similar, I don't want to say necessarily similar case, but also sexual assault charges. What his attorneys did, and they said, you know what, if we accept anything here, I don't know if Bauer's ever going to play again. These charge, you know, the allegations are pretty heinous. It was yeah. really kind of messy sexual assault rape allegations. And what did Bauer's attorney do? They went into court, guns ablazing. They weren't going to settle, and they won. And then the DA's office said, well, if you guys won on the civil case, we can't really win on the criminal case. It's a higher burden. So now Bauer, right, he's kind of cleared his name. He, he might like Bauer, he might hate him. He cleared his name. And if Watson wants to return to the NFL, to the NFL, right, and Jody, you pointed out, a plea deal could be 10 years in jail, right? It could be five years in jail. I don't know what they're necessarily going to charge him with, a felony, a misdemeanor, beyond that. Um, but if there's a world where he can get no jail time, I think he jumps at that immediately because that's your path to return. As you guys know, Mike Vick, right, served his time. He came back to the Eagles. Um, but we're in this world for this past year, and why I'm not sure we're going to get clarity tomorrow, Friday, is because we don't know when that end point is for, for Watson. We know that Vick's was. He took a plea. He served his time in jail. That was it. Watson still has the civil case dragging, right? So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, Jody, to the, your question, I think if there was a plea deal on the table for him to admit guilt and not to serve jail time, then he's really looking at he, Goodell. Goodell can make the decision. So right. I, I think he would lean towards doing it, but I, we haven't gotten the impression that it's on the table yet. So, you know, we, we got to see what happens there. Uh, and speaking of you, you mentioned your show. I want to uh, talk about that. Conduct Detrimental is the podcast, so make sure you listen to that with Dan. Uh, when we talk about uh, Deshaun Watson and, and Friday, if you go back a couple weeks, they had that hearing, Dan, where Rusty Harden was very competent. It seemed that things were going to clear up from a criminal perspective 
by April 1st, I think was the date he gave. Why, why did he know that? How did he know that? Is that something is, is the grand jury calendar? Is that public? Is that uh, how, how, how did he understand that it was going to move forward at least at some point, good or bad? So I, I got to take a little bit of an issue with my fellow attorney, Rusty Harden. Um, and uh, so, sometimes lawyers get a bad rap, right? You guys are faux attorneys over here, right? Yeah. You guys get a bad rap too. All the attorneys get bad raps. Yeah. Um, but I, Rusty Harden has been saying for a long time, he's been saying since day one of this case, we welcome the grand jury. Yeah, we yeah, love yeah. this. We'd love yeah. to get clarity. If if you put him under oath, right? He couldn't say that. <laughs> he couldn't say that. If you injected him with truth serum, he couldn't say that. No attorney yeah. welcomes their client to be put in front of a grand jury because, again, more often than not, the grand jury indicts. It's like if you're the attorney and your hands are tied behind your back and your mouth is tied shut and you can't defend your client, why would you want your client to be subjected to that? So that's Rusty Hardy, Rusty Harden's PR spin. He doesn't want this, you know, but he can't avoid it. How does he know, John, to your question? The DA, as my understanding, has told him. They said, hey, we're going to present this case to a grand jury. Um, you know, what's your side of the case? And I've been on going on other shows the past couple of weeks and I've been saying the fact that the D.A. is asking Rusty Harden for his side of the version of the events is not a good thing, because if the D.A. D.A.'s office was planning to let this case go, they, they don't need Rusty Harden's version of events. So the fact that they were asking him, hey, we need some more details here. We need some more cooperation tells you at best. Right. At best, it's a 50 50. So I think what they told Rusty Harden is, hey, we're going to be presenting the case to a grand jury in the month, month of March. Um, and the grand jury doesn't normally take you know, three weeks, if, if anything, maybe a week, week or so. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how we knew that. I, I, my understanding is that the DA's office reached out and, and gave him a heads up that it was going to happen. Here's your last chance to give us some more facts to maybe help your cause. Do want to ask you about uh, precedent, because uh, you just said that is a big part of the entire uh, legal proceeding and, and legal world. Um, I was a little surprised this week when uh the former uh, Falcons, I shouldn't say former, but suspended Falcons wide receiver uh, was found guilty of uh, wagering on games. He had been shut down because of mental health issues at the end of last year. And the NFL acted uh, quickly and what seemed to me to be harshly by suspending him for an entire year. Then when I found out that when there had been previous suspensions in the NFL for gambling, they'd always been a year. Everybody had always been a year. So he only got what everybody else got. Is it looked at or should it be looked at different now that the NFL has joined in partnership with gambling? Forever they were so much against it. They wouldn't let Jimmy the Greek make picks on the air. We can't have any tie between gambling and the NFL. Oh, there's ties of plenty and billion dollars of plenty being exchanged between the two. But the precedent was, if you do it, it's a year. Did the NFL handle it right this week? So I might give an unpopular opinion. Uh, Jody and John, uh, I'm looking at your background. I see Ocean Casino and Resort. I've been there. <laughs> I, am, I am a gambler. I, uh, I'm very uh, conscious that if I was an NFL player, right, I could not I could not do certain things. There's certain allowances you can and can't have. Um, you know, the world of, of uh, casinos and gambling is obviously very different than it is in 2022. Same with DraftKings, FanDuel, you know, you go down the list. I'm going to take the unpopular opinion here. It's 2022. Calvin Ridley knows better than to place a bet in his own name, 
right? Sure. This we're decades into the Pete Rose saga, right? Uh, Paul Hornig, like that happened like decades ago. Everyone knows those rules. There is a zero tolerance policy. Maybe your listeners maybe don't know this, and I, I learned this this past week. The NFL NFL players are actually allowed to wager on fantasy sports up to two hundred fifty dollars. They're allowed to do that under the NFL guidelines, but there is zero tolerance, none, not a zilch for betting on sports. So you know, personally, um, I I think that Ridley got pretty lucky here because he bet on his own team. So I know he wasn't with the team at the time. I know he was away with different mental health issues, um, you know, but he bet on his own team. I, I don't know how the NFL could say there wasn't inside info in, involved. I think Ridley is lucky to only get a year. Honestly, you, you cannot, I don't care how much money is bet in this day and age in 2022 to bet in your own name with your own address. Um, I mean, it's just the, the worst type of crime that occurred. Right. So you know, maybe in the 70s, Pete Rose is betting with a bookie right behind the scenes. Nobody knows what's going on. Um, but he bet out in the open with an app and he registered his name. I mean, that's that's pretty careless. So I, yeah, I think he's so lucky. He should get a year of punishment and a year for stupidity I, that's, for, that's for doing so in his own name. Yeah, that yeah. honestly, I mean, the year I get, I, I'm not going to really, you know, I don't think it should be two years or more, but I, I think he is lucky. But that was the most surprising part to me. It's not surprising that NFL players are finding ways to place bets, maybe through proxies or otherwise. But I am surprised that that someone like Calvin Ridley, who clearly knows the rule, would be that careless with with placing a wager like that. Uh, Dan, I'm going to tap into two year backgrounds. For those who don't know, Dan used to be in public relations with the New York Giants. Don't hold it against me. In a in a prior life, a prior part of life. Um, do you ever look around this league? The Dallas Cowboys. Uh, that Jerry Jones pays. I think it was. 2.4 million out in a in a voyeurism scandal uh, that emanated from his chief PR exec, um, and now we have a paternity suit. Now, not to mention the Washington Football Team and all the issues they've had in the way the NFL has said. And I think I've talked to you about this in the past. There's not a lawyer in the world that says, "Hey, no written, <laughs> don't do any, don't do a report with no written work." I, I don't want to see written work. Does it ever frustrate you how the NFL and, and its owners handle their business at times? Um, y- yes, and I and I had a feeling I would. You guys would ask me about the Jerry Jones case. I don't know what's <laughs> going on in uh, the uh, in Dallas over here. I mean, those guys. You know, first they have the cheerleader settlement, which we'll talk about, obviously, and then yeah, this paternity test is wild. So, and and of all places, ESPN is reporting it. So, um, yeah, I, I I think that's probably part of the narrative, right? Um, the NFL conducts business in a way for years that I don't know if you want to call it the player empowerment era or the, you know, the me too era, you know, woke era, whatever you want to call it. It's now this kind of perfect storm where the NFL is feeling the brunt of it. Uh, it started happening in Washington and my office, my law office has fielded some calls about potential lawsuits around the league. So like there, there's something, something going on in the waters of the, of the NFL. And maybe it's just that maybe it's as simple as saying, John, like, People aren't afraid to go after the NFL anymore. They're not afraid to go after the shield. Um, you know, not, not to get too far in the weeds, but with these type of sexual assault, sexual harassment type cases, people are only empowered to go for if they can come, by, come up in numbers, right? So that's what we saw happen in Washington. We had some of the uh, former employees on my podcast to explain their stories, explain how much they hate Dan Snyder, which I'm sure uh, Philly fans can, can uh, unite with. Um, <laughs> I think Washington fans could unite with. I think all, yeah. all NFL fans can, can reunite, unite around their hatred of Dan Snyder. But, you know, the, the, these women in Washington, these courageous women in Washington, have been kind of now this benchmark for other 
employees around the league to step up. And even now, right, these these former cheerleaders, right, clearly they're speaking to the media. Um, somehow this got out. Somehow this leaked with this Cowboys voyeurism charge. Um, but there's certainly something in the waters. And I think it's just, hey, uh, these women in Washington stood up and now they're getting backed by Congress. They're getting so much support across the NFL. Maybe we should do this. And uh, it's not immune to football. Phoenix Suns had a similar scenario. Yeah. Um, it's really happening around sports right now. So it's we're certainly seeing a, a change in the waters. I, I uh, want to ask you about the Brian Flores case before we run out of time here today. Um, the Miami Dolphins filed to have the case handled by Roger Goodell in an arbitration process, which I guess they have the right to do as per the contract that Flores signed and was under when he was the Dolphin head coach. Brian Flores certainly wants to take uh, the Dolphins and the Giants and the entire National Football League to court. Um Will that be preempted? Does his own contract with the Dolphins give them the ability to sidetrack a potential uh, uh, con- uh, potential lawsuit in a court of law? Uh, this came as a surprise to me. I probably should have known about it ahead of time, but I didn't. That the Dolphins just said, no, 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 no. Wait, wait we, we got a process here. We can go to arbitration first in front of the commissioner. What do you mean going into a court of law? We want no part of that. Uh, give us a background there. Shame on me. I should have known of it. I came as a surprise when I read it. Uh, please educate me and our listeners. Well, Jody, this is why you and I have to talk more. I could have told you that. That's uh, that's the NFL's, NFL's move here. So they're doing it actually similarly, which we, I'm sure we can't talk about. But the John Gruden stuff made the same move over in his case to move that case to arbitration. Essentially under an employment contract, right? That's what the fight is over, whether they fired Gruden improperly. Okay, so it's got to be under the employment contract, which says it goes to arbitration. Flores is a little bit different. He's going to have a better argument than Gruden's going to have because Flores is not necessarily alleging a claim of, uh, you know, wrongful termination. He's alleging a class action lawsuit that involves all these former candidates for head coaching jobs and, and general manager candidates. And he's alleging racial discrimination. That's much less obvious, uh, you know, relating to Brian Flores's singular contract with the Miami Dolphins. So that's that's really going to be his argument here. This is a class action lawsuit about racial discrimination. It's not solely about wrongful termination. Um, it's not. So that's that's his argument. Not to say it's a winning argument, but I, I if I'm uh, you know picking my horse here, I'd much rather be on Flores' side on that arbitration case than Gruden's. Gruden is, I think, that case is going to get kicked to arbitration, and then uh, you know then you have Mr. Goodell as the uh, judge, jury, and executioner over here. You can't yeah. like the chances in that form. Uh, follow him at Sports Law of Lust. You see it there, Dan Lust. Dan Lust, best in the business, as far as I'm concerned, from a sports legal standpoint. So, Phil, for Brian Flores, last one from me, Dan. Um, you mentioned the class action part. How, how do you get the numbers to be successful in that when so many of the guys who would maybe want to be involved are employed in the league just like he is now? It's as a lawyer, would that be the the way you would have went to go class action? Well, I think you, you probably they probably did it because of the arbitration reason. I think that was at least the conversations we're having amongst uh, lawyers. That was one of them. But there are a slew of you know former coaches right that haven't been out of the league for so long. Uh, you know that that probably that have actually spoke out. Marvin Lewis spoke up in this case. You know uh, Hugh Jackson has spoke out about uh, the case. So uh, and there are a number of former or current coaches that are named in the complaint, Eric the enemy over in Kansas city. So, you know, um, I, I would be fearful if I was a, a coach what, thinking whether or not I'm going to join this case, Brian Flores went from 
hottest head coaching candidate in the middle of the the interview circuit, which if I'm his lawyer, um, you asked me, John, what I would have done and would not have done. I wouldn't have filed a lawsuit while he was interviewing for the Texans and Saints head coaching jobs. I think that uh, probably ruined his chances. You could tell me, which a lot of people have, hey, well, now he has a retaliation claim. He can add that to his lawsuit against the Texans and Saints that they didn't hire him because he filed the lawsuit. And I'm like, great. But wasn't the guy's dream to, to continue to be a head coach in the NFL? So, you know, I, I get that maybe he's added more dollars to his case value. But, you know, the messaging from Flores' side was, I want to be a head coach in this league. And now he's now settled to be a linebackers coach. And no one's going to convince me that he would have been a linebackers coach but for, right, the filing of this lawsuit. So I, I think that was a tactical error. And, I, you know, I don't, I'm not here to blame Brian Flores. I'm here to blame his attorneys for maybe – wanting a bigger share of the spotlight during that two-week lead-up to the Super Bowl. Coincidentally, that's when the lawsuit was filed. So congrats. They drummed up a lot of attention to this lawsuit, but I think they really you know, materially harmed Brian Flores' coaching trajectory if you wanted to, right? And, and if everyone's listening clearly, have your cake and eat it too. Get the job with the Houston Texans. Get it with the New Orleans Saints. He was a finalist for those jobs. And then if you're really that angry at the Giants, right? You're that angry at the Dolphins or the, or the Broncos, the other team mentioned this lawsuit, File, file after you get those jobs, right? And then you put the NFL in a very uncomfortable position. But I don't, I don't, I don't really love that he ended up as a Steelers linebackers coach. I, I think that sends the wrong message. We know Dan Lutz will be paying close attention to what goes on in the Houston courtroom on uh, Friday, as will we. He gave us some good information to uh, be able to judge for ourselves. Hey, what happened? Before you come out of here, my my father-in-law, your good friend Alan, mm-hmm. says he's remembering fondly. Your celebration in the uh, in the early morning hours of the 1986 World Series against the Red Sox. He told me to remind you of that. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> the, said the crew, the crew that Beegs and I were part of were much more Met fans than Yankee fans. We had one, uh, T-Turd was a Yankee straggler, but the rest of us were all Met guys. So, yes, the celebration was good when the Mets won the World Series in 1988. Tell Beegs, I send my regards, Dan Lust. John, and I wish you our regards as well. Thanks for coming on. You know, we're going to tap into you again down the road. My pleasure, guys. Anytime. Thanks, Dan. Lust here with us on uh, Birds 365. Yes. His father-in-law was a good buddy of mine. From I know, Jody. It, like, it's the uh, Jody Mac Buddy Show today. I know. Randy Brown, the mayor of Martha, and uh, Dan and, Lust, and, and my I, buddy. And by the way, I'm the one, I'm the one who, who books uh, book both guests, and I'm like, well, yeah, Jody, I just use your name. You're, you're a legend, man. <laughs> Look, people are talking about your celebrations at 86. Randy Brown's talking about Cherokee High School. I'm like, yeah, Jody Max on the show. I, I, say, go- I, I say John McMullen. They go, oh, yeah, maybe. I say Jody Mack, and then everybody lights up. Prior to COVID, I used to get around. Yeah, Johnny Mac, I I had a social life. There were people who actually knew me before I got out of my basement hanging. Oh, out everybody you knows you. Every that's the, that's why I used I used the Jody. I'm admitting I used the Jody Mac name. I say Jody Mac. Okay. I say I don't I don't use my name. I'm not getting anywhere. Uh, we'll use anything to get good guests here on Birds Three Sixty Five. That's because we care about you guys. Here's how much we care about you guys. We're going to come back and put a bow on the show. Stick around. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. 
go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian. In my heart, I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. I come down to home stretch. On a uh, Thursday edition of Birds 365 with Mac and Mac. I, I, I already put one in the W column for yours truly today. We got Dan Lust on, and he did say, oh, there is a possibility that uh, Deshaun Watson, if he had a no jail time potential plea bargain, would plead guilty to misdemeanor charges, which John and I disagreed on yesterday. Um, so I'm going to go 50-50. Dan Lust, uh, he lawyered that. But he brought up very quickly, Jody, if you want to replay it. Like Roger Goodell sitting there waiting. If you played guilty, you're not going to play. So do you want to play? So he essentially said, if he wants to play, he's not pleading guilty. Now, if he's going to jail for 30 years and he's not going to play and that becomes clear, yeah, then he might then he might say, hey, I'll take jail for 10 years. Right. He said but he's, he's not got, playing. He's got to keep Goodell's actions in mind. But he said, if it was no jail term, he'll he deal with the repercussions of Goodell rather than the repercussions of prison, uh, and that's kind of the point I was making yesterday. Um, but I give you a chance to get a W here, John, even though it won't be decided for five years. Jeff Mosher, who was on yesterday, and I had to use John McMullen's name because I booked Jeff Mosher. I never would have gotten him if I didn't mention joined me and John McMullen. Um, but Mosher did not say this yesterday when he was on with us. He reported after the show that the Eagles were uh, prominently at the workout for Traylon Burks, 
wide receiver from Arkansas who had his pro day early yesterday. And their uh, wide receiver coach, Aaron Moorhead, was very much involved in helping out with the working of his pro day. You're a bigger Traylon Burks fan than I am. I think he's no better than the fifth wide receiver in this year's upcoming draft. Uh, the Eagles might be leaning toward John's belief that he's one of the better uh, wide receivers. How would you rank the uh, wide receivers eligible in the draft this year? How high do you have Burks? I have Burks pretty high for the Eagles. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've said this before. You know, everybody's bringing up the Debo Samuel comparisons with, with Traylon Burks. And I've, I've said before, that's great. But, you know, you're bringing Kyle Shanahan with them to utilize them like that. So that's... That's kind of my issue. I think that's what the Eagles – and by the way, won't only be the Eagles. There'll be a bunch of teams that says, oh, I want to get a Debo Samuel-like player and then get a player they think could be Debo and not use them at all like Debo Samuel. So I'm kind of torn. Um, you know, I don't think they're going to utilize them the way it should be utilized. They seem to like them. And Aaron Moorhead was running the uh, – uh, 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 sort of the pro day workouts for him, um, down there. Um, so obviously they have some, some interest. Um, ultimately, I don't think the Eagles are going to be in a position to get them. Um, I don't think the Eagles are going to take an offensive player because I don't think they're taking three picks. But I think if it comes down to it, I always use that term, it takes two to tango. If it comes down to it and they're forced to take three picks, I've also said they're not taking three defensive players, so they're taking one offensive player in that mix. And I think if that's the case, in an unlikely scenario, he'd be in the mix for them at one of those three first-round picks. But I yeah, don't I think, think it's going there. I, I think they're probably But as far trade. as I have, I've Wilson won um, – uh, that the Drake London sort of, I don't think that's, I don't, I don't like him for the Eagles. I think I've told you that before. Now the Eagles need an X receiver. He's, he's probably the best X receiver. Um, I just don't think they know how to utilize that, that player. They haven't shown me they can utilize that type of player. The guy, the big receiver that maybe isn't going to get the, the, the world-class separation that Devontae Smith gets, um, they, they haven't shown me they can utilize that type of player, so I'm scared of, of him in, in, in the Eagles, if that makes sense. And then uh, uh, Olive, the other kid from Ohio State, I'm missing one. Who's the fifth one? I'm yeah, it all depends on what you think of Jamison Williams coming yeah, back. Yeah, Williams. I love Williams. Williams, and, and, and they might get some value uh, with with Jamison Williams because if he didn't tear his ACL, he he would be in the in the conversation to be sort of top ten, late top ten, maybe eleven somewhere in that range. So if you talk about if you start to talk about nineteenth overall, Jamison Williams coming off that injury, you might get a player that should be top ten if you're willing to to wait out the the rehab and things like that. My order would be if uh, all wide receivers are available, you said number 19, which means the Eagles would have passed at 16, 17 um, or 15, 16. 15, 16 yeah. 
which we don't even know if they're going to keep those picks. So this conversation is so speculative, it's almost funny. <laughs> but if all the wide receivers were still available at whatever position, the Eagles decide, all right, we got to take a wide receiver. My order would be uh, Wilson one. Uh, I would go London two, Alave three, Jamison four, and your boy uh, Traylon Burks, no better than the fifth wide receiver. But the Eagles did uh, show some interest yesterday, yeah. so it's certainly Depot something. Depot Samuel. I get Take. a kick out of it. I say all the time, you know, what if you're not going to use them like Debo Samuel, what what does it mean? What does it mean? Didn't, and other than Kyle Shanahan, who can say it? Didn't they draft Jalen Rager to be a Debo Samuel-like player? No, I don't think a, they used that comparison. But the traits thereof, that's what Jalen Rager was going to bring to the table. For actually, the Eagles. Jalen Rager was going to bring, you ready for this one? Tyreek Hill-like traits Ooh, to the Eagles. That's even worse than Debo Samuel. Yeah, yeah. yeah let's, let's not revisit that. All right, uh, j good show today. Uh, always a pleasure, my friend. I'm not getting out today again either. If I do, it'll probably just go to be to go bet a couple of races at Aqueduct or uh, Fairgrounds or something I got like it. that. Uh, Mike K tomorrow from the Pro Football Network. I yes, Michael K, the uh, reassigned. And yes, for those of you who get ticked off ahead of time, and somebody always comments on the uh, uh, stream, uh, both McMullen and I will be asking at least one wrestling question a piece. Oh, yeah. That's a given because oh, yeah. Johnny Max Jeff Hardy. Uh, by the way, Jeff, uh, uh, Jody, uh, Michael K's obsessed with Jeff Hardy. So I'll let you know that. He's a so, huge Hardy guy. Yes. Yeah. I've, I've learned that from previous appearances by Michael K here on the shelf. So we will, we will want a, uh, a wrestling guest or a question or two by him, but we'll talk mostly football. That's what we do basically every day here on. Birds 365, see in two and two. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.